0: What a sweet time when God's people sing. God's people have always been singing people. Even if you go back and look at the, the Pentateuch, Moses' writings, Moses was writing songs for, the, for God's people to sing way back when. So it's just a beautiful opportunity this morning that we've had together that we get all the time to, to join a chorus of truth that's been ringing from eternity to eternity. If you have your Bibles, go with me this morning to Colossians chapter 2. We are going to, today, together, work through the first six verses, Lord willing. So I'm going to read those to you, and then we'll, we'll just kind of get after it together, all right? Colossians, beginning in chapter 2. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts, I want you to key in here with me, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding at the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." Don't you love this? That I'll just stop right here for just a second. Don't you just love that Paul, in the very beginning, could have just kind of ended it there, but graciously unpacks more letters and more writings? Like he's already given you the exclamation point of the story of God, right? Everything that you want, everything that you need, all the hidden treasures, everything that is good and faithful, all that you need in this life can be found in Jesus. But I have a feeling the Colossians were much like the Tiftonians, and they needed further explanation. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoice and I rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. And we'll wrap up six right here. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in Him rooted and built up and established and established in the faith that you were taught abounding in thanksgiving we'll stretch it to seven together this morning let's pray father you're the greatest of all time lord there's none like you there's never been any like you and there will never be any like you you are infinitely better than anything that we could experience on this planet so, Father God, I pray this morning as we, as we dig into the Word together, Father, that you would give our, God, give our hearts an appetite to devour truth, to dig for truth, to know truth, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive from you this morning. God, I pray like I pray often that we would not miss a thing in the text today. But, Lord, that you would speak as only you can in Jesus' name everybody together said amen. Beginning in verse one of chapter two in Colossians, we read it again like this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all of those who have not seen me face to face. The word struggle in the original language is interesting to me because it means striving. See, if if. If we just take it at first glance and we read it as struggle, we're thinking, oh, man, Paul's just really kind of wrestling here. He's struggling with some things. You ever heard somebody, one of your brothers and sisters in Christ, yeah? hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm just kind of struggling with some stuff. Anybody ever said that before? Anybody heard anybody say that before? Right? Well, that's not really the the context or the idea here, the way that Paul is launching this next idea and this next phrase. He's not saying, man, you know, I'm just kind of struggling with some things. The, The word there, struggle, literally means he said, I'm striving. I'm giving all that I have for those in Laodicea and those who have not seen me so that you might. And he's setting them up so that you might know these things that are going to follow. Paul is striving that they would remember. Remember last week that, they, that Christ was supreme. He's striving to let them know that they've been qualified. And he's striving. He's working really, 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 really hard to remind them that they have an inheritance that can never perish. So it's not like Paul's in prison saying, hey, guys, I'm just really struggling. I want you to lift up some prayers for me. No, he's saying, listen, I'm striving so that you know who you are in Christ, so that you are rooted in the Word, so that you begin to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling, so that you live for Christ. I'm striving to that end. Really, Paul, if I could say it in these words, striving that the things that he had taught would get from their head to their heart. And that's why we, we gather week after week after week And preach the truth and preach the truth and preach the truth, trusting that through the power of his written word and the proclamation of the gospel and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that the things that you've been taught and that you hear would move from your head to your heart and transform the way that you see God and the way that you see yourselves and the way that you love the world. And it was to that end that Paul was striving. Verse 2 through 5 says it like this, that the, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say that in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I'm absent in body, yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. I want you to see the center of this argument here from Paul or this, this proclamation to the church in Colossae and also being read in Laodicea really has three parts here. There's three things that he mentions and keys in on that I believe are three elements that are the centerpiece or should be the centerpiece of Christian culture. The centerpiece of Christian culture. You say, well, TJ, I I hear that word sometimes, culture, thrown around. What does culture mean? It's a buzzword, right? I mean, people say all the time. How's the culture of your workplace or your work environment? What's the culture of your family like? Culture. It's really the stuff that makes us up, that, that, that we're made up of. I'll give you an example. Maybe you, uh, you have a friend group, and every time you hang out together, um, everybody's just kind of gossiping, and it's negative. I would say that that would be an unhealthy culture, <laughs> all right? And maybe you have a friend group, and you hang out together, and you encourage one another, and you point each other to Christ, and you, like, smile at one another, and the world, the sky's not falling. That would be an encouraging culture to be a part of. But Paul here identifies three things that, in, as we look in on the text, and even through the whole of the New Testament, you really see three elements that make up Christian culture. And the first one is this, encouragement. If you're taking notes, jot this down. That your hearts may be encouraged. Can I, I said this jokingly to the, the band earlier. I read in a book by uh, Bob Coughlin one time, he said, when we're worshiping God and when we're following Jesus, if we're happy about it, then we should at some point tell our faces. He said, he said if, you're, if you claim to be a Christian and you, you love God and you, you feel like he's transformed your life and now you have the keys to a kingdom that, that you're going to live forever and reign with King Jesus, I mean, you are, you are a part of the family. If that's true, then maybe you should tell your face. See, we should be an encouraged people and an encouraging people. We should be encouraged this morning. I I, I know some of us have had rocky. Weeks in this room. I, I know there is grief in this room this morning. I know that there are heavy hearts. I know from every background, every different place that we sit, there are things going on in your heart and your mind, some of you, that, that none of us could ever imagine. But hear me say this if we are anchored in Christ, we still have reason to be encouraged. I say, well, why, TJ? Why should I be a person of encouragement? Why can I be encouraged? My life is going haywire. I just don't understand why God lets some things happen. How can I be encouraged? Because even in the chaos, Christ is still supreme. Paul used all of chapter one, and whole, his whole beginning argument was hey, Christ sits on the throne. He's over rulers and dominions and authorities and power. Christ reigns supreme. So listen, man, you're struggling with that boss or that, you know, those employees, and there's tension in the workplace. Hey, it's all right this week because Christ is supreme. You can be encouraged because you know who's your boss's boss? <laughs> right? Right? Some of you look at the political climate in America right now, and and, and your whole world is like, just, you, you can't get enough news, and the more you read, the more you're depressed, but for some reason, you just keep going back to that same old well. But you know who's in charge this morning and whose power supersedes that of the Democrats or the Republicans? King Jesus. who sits on the throne established in the heavens, who the Bible says the earth is his footstool and the heavens declare his glory. You know who that is this morning? King Jesus. And if you follow him, if your life is rooted in him, then no matter what comes or what goes or what happens around us, we can be encouraged because Christ is supreme. You should also be encouraged this morning because you've been qualified. I'm recapping for you the last few weeks. Not because you're good or because you're faithful or because you do everything right. But because Scripture says that God chose you in Him before the foundations of the world. You've been qualified in Christ Jesus. So yeah, maybe this week was a struggle. Maybe you walked through some things. But man, you've, been, you've been qualified You've been made whole and perfect and worthy by the blood of the Lamb. Be encouraged. La- last, last reason why we should be an encouraged people this morning would be that we get to remind others that Christ is supreme. I mean, not only, not only is Christ supreme, not only have we we've been qualified into the kingdom of sons and daughters, but we get to spend our lives telling others about the greatest story to ever touch earth. I, I don't know about you, but if you, if you want a million dollars, full disclosure, if I want a million dollars, I wouldn't tell anybody in this room, all right, especially my family, all right, if you're here, I'm sorry, but you're not going to know. But typically, if someone won a million dollars, you know that, you know, I just, you know, I just You know, I just, you know know—I'm really upset because the, you know I got to pay taxes, and I'm I'm really frustrated that I got to pay some. I mean, I still have like seven hundred thousand dollars, but I I won a million dollars. <laughs> Would anybody respond that way to winning a million dollars? No. So why? This is a question I have to ask myself when I read the text. Why? When we become part of the family, where the father owns the cattle of a thousand hills, and we have an internal, an an internal inheritance that no one can ever separate from us, we live just like that. God is good. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a Christian. to grapple with this own question of my heart when i was preparing the sermon i thought man tj there's been times in your life when you've been really 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 bad at being encouraged <laughs> and that's okay we're gonna go through seasons where we walk through difficulty and and anxiety or depression things that you might wrestle with right fear of rejection fears and stuff but, but i thought man if we really believe the things that we've been preaching and that we've given our lives to then we should be an encouraged people and we should, in turn, be a people of encouragement. I'll say it to you like this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. I love the way that Eugene's paraphrase of the Bible, the message, says it. He says, so speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you'll all be together in this thing. No one left out. No one left behind. I know you're already doing this, but just keep doing it. Listen, the culture of God's kingdom is a culture of encouragement. You want to live out your faith? Start small. You, you want to begin to develop a culture? I'm, I'm going to give you something practical here. You want to develop a culture of encouragement in your household? Write on a sticky note, you were fearfully and wonderfully made and throw it up on a mirror somewhere. You want to start a culture of encouragement in your workplace? Start celebrating people for who they are rather than who they're not. Acknowledge the good things about someone else that you see the gift of God in their life. Speak up and speak out about those things. Man, we take it for granted so often that people just know that they're appreciated and they just know that they're loved. No, listen, they need to hear you say that or write that. If you want to develop a culture of encouragement in your home, in your ministry, in your company, in your business, begin to model that. Write somebody a note this week. Call somebody up. Pull your kids to to the side. How precious was it while I go to be able to look in on these parents, looking at their sons and daughters, saying, you were created by God. It does something right here, doesn't it? Don't reserve that for Sunday morning. Take every opportunity you can to speak encouragement into the lives of those that you love because encouragement is an element of Christian culture that we cannot neglect. Moving on, if you're taking notes, jot this down. Not only is encouragement one of the elements of of Christian culture that we can't separate from our, our kingdom walk, but number two would be unity. What did Paul say? That you would be... That your hearts would be encouraged and that you would be knit together in love. I've said to you this. I've said this to you a million times, and I'll say it. A million, that might be an exaggeration. I've said it a lot, and I'll say it a lot more. But Christianity is not solo flying. It's not pedaling by yourself. It's more like a team of rowers, where you're sharing the burden. You're pulling weight for one another. When someone else gets a cramp or someone else stumbles, you get to pick up their deficiencies and, and serve them and love them. And let me, hear, let, let me tell you this today. That's the only way, way real unity works. That's the only way to ever really be knit together in love is to realize that some people are different from you and they have weaknesses and areas that you have strengths, not so that you can lord that over them and be prideful and entitled, but so that you can pick them up when they fall. You hear me today? See, sometimes we let our, our what we would consider deficiencies or our separations from one another be the thing that puts us on a platform and think, oh, I'm, I'm better than this person, or, 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 you know, I'm frustrated with this person because they just can't get this one area together in their life. Because I'm exceptionally gifted in that area and I, I don't struggle like that. So, this is what unity does, this is the intention of unity to be able to use your best that God has given you to serve someone else at their worst so that they might be restored to Christ Jesus. Do you hear me this morning? I'll let you chew on that for a little bit. But that's the truth of unity this morning. The church should never be a place where our chest is poked out. This should be a place where we are quick to stoop, to get down and serve, get our hands dirty and love one another for the sake of unity There's no better example or place that we could pull this from together from the Scriptures than Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. I want you to hear, and I want you to just see this in your mind's eye with me. I want you to see this community of believers scurrying about together for the Father's work. 42. And the, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done through, done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belong, belongings and distributing to the, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day they were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with gladness and generous hearts. Glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to their numbers day by day those who were being saved you know what I see in this community a community that was knit together with a common purpose and a common goal this is a community that was able to look to their left and right and realize that wow you're imperfect you're imperfect I'm imperfect but Jesus is perfect let's do this thing right let's pursue him together let's chase him together They were sharing, they were supporting, and they were strengthening one another. I, I'll say it like this, and I didn't want to lose this in, in my thought process, so I, I want you to grab a hold of it. Unity is not easy. I, I'm not standing up here saying, hey, man, if, if you'll just write some, some, some sweet letters on your kids' mirrors, they, you know, they won't be crazy anymore. <laughs> like, your, your, your teenage will not hormonally rage at you ever again if you would just write a sweet verse from the Psalms on their mirror. That is not what I'm saying. Unity is hard. I think that's why most of the churches that I've been a part of in my life forso- just kind of forsook it at some point because they, they just didn't want to work for it. It's hard to be unified. It's difficult to set your eyes on a common goal. It is, man, it's arduous to be able to, 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 to everybody file in the same direction and go after the same thing. That's really, really difficult. unless Christ is the centerpiece. See, see, that's the way to simplify unity this morning. In your home, in our church, if Jesus is the centerpiece, if Jesus is the thing that we're fixed on, if Jesus is the, the king that we're following, then preferences and prejudice, they have to die. Unity is difficult because it means that along the journey we're going to have to forgive and ask for forgiveness. It means that you're going to have to choose the good of others over our own self-interest. And it means if we really want to be unified, it means that we have to at some point prize being patient, humble, and caring. I... Heard a man say one time he'd been married for, I think it was fifty-five years or fifty-seven years, and someone asked him the secret. You know the, the, how you know how did you do it? How'd you stay married so long? How'd you stay in this relationship so long? He said, "You got to be quick, 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 to forgive." He said, "You even have to be even quicker to ask for forgiveness." This morning. This is so much more than just a letter to, to the church. It's a letter centered at our hearts. This morning, you, you might walk in the room and, and there might not be much unity in your household. I'm just going to meddle and get base level real together. Before you start looking at the deficiencies of your husband or your wife to be the reason why there's not unity, how about you just spin the mirror around? Are there things in your life that you could repent of? Are there things in your life that you could ask for forgiveness? Have you been holding your own grudges that he or she might not even know about? In your workplace, if it's a lot of tension, you don't feel like there's much unity. My encouragement is that most of us, most people, we're self-preserving. So if I ask you, hey, what's the problem, you would be able to list everyone else's deficiencies. In the ways that everyone else has wronged you, my prayer for you, my prayer for myself is that we could just spin that mirror around this morning. See, it's, a, it's, a, it's our heart and sin condition. We want to hold that mirror up to everybody else and say, hey, look how bad you are. If you would just be good, things would be good again. And the scriptures say, no, 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 spin it around. I'm going to say this again and then we'll move on. Unity is difficult because it means that That along the journey, you're going to have to ask, you're going to have to forgive, and you're going to ask for forgiveness. It means that you're going to have to choose the good of others over your own self interest. And unity is difficult because it means you're going to have to be patient, humble, and caring. But Psalm 133 1 says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. My prayer for you is that you would do the hard work. Of being unified, that you would fight to be knit together, that you would take the necessary steps in your life to be unified in your marriage, to be unified in your workplace, to be unified in your friendships and your relationships, and to be unified in this church. I believe preferences that divide churches and homes sicken God, and we should feel the same way. So I'm going to say this, and then we'll move on. Let's just get over ourselves and get after the gospel. Amen? Last thing this morning that Paul points to in the text, and, and I love this. He, he says oh, uh, that your hearts may be encouraged, that you be knit together in love, walking in unity, obviously, to, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So there's three things that he kind of paints here. He, he throws out encouragement, and then he points to unity, and then he kind of anchors in and lands on, and even we'll move through this through the rest of the book, spiritual maturity. I want you to know the mystery that's been given to you. you got everything you need. Now I want you to saturate your life in the Word of God. I'll say it like this. You say, TJ, what is biblical, uh, spiritual maturity? Here's a working definition for you. Biblical literacy and a lifestyle that reflects that the words contained in the Bible have made its way from your head to your heart. Biblical understanding and knowing the Bible for yourself, knowing God's love letter to you. And knowing it, believing it, delighting in it in such a way, being so compelled by it that the truth found in its pages move from your head to your heart. Because listen, the, the Bible says the heart is the wellspring of life. Our heart, the seat of our emotions, not the organ, but the seat of our emotions, the center of our consciousness, it's the thing that motivates us to do, right? It's the thing that motivates us to do. Let me, let me say it like this. When I was uh, falling in love with my wife, and I say falling in love, um, I was just smitten with her, still smitten with her. I'll never forget the, the, the first day that I saw her. She was in a little gray envoy at the church. She got out, she had on some green shorts and a gray shirt, and I thought, my God, she is going to be my wife. First day I saw her. You know what I did. I did not go up and greet her like I would greet anybody else. There was a little different swagger in the way I walked and the way that I approached her. It was like, what's up, girl? (laughs) Right? I had to get them digits. Well, see, see, what happened intellectually at some point grabbed a hold of this. And it changed the way that I lived. I was motivated to get to know her. I was motivated to to hang out with her and spend time with her. I was motivated to spend money on flowers and Reese's, right? Not just any chocolate, like it had to be Reese's, right? It changed my actions because my heart bought into the thing my mind knew that I loved her. Church, I hope you can see that this morning. My prayer, Paul's prayer for the Colossians and my prayer for our church is that at some point we see the King, King Jesus in the text so real and so fresh that what all we've compiled here would make its way here and it would change the course of living. That we would be smitten with the King. And because of that, our words and our actions Would be radically transformed. So I appeal to you this morning to know your Bibles and to live its truth. I'll say it the way Paul Tripp says it. I really like Paul Tripp, has some great resources on marriage, family, and the Bible, but he says maturity is not merely something you do with your mind. Maturity is about how you live your life. It is very possible to be theologically astute and yet very immature. It is possible to be biblically literate and, need, and in need of significant spiritual growth. So what does that mean? Paint it very simply. Most of us in this room, cross-generationally, we would know who Mike Tyson is. I, I know in my head that Mike Tyson would beat me in a boxing match. So it would be very immature of me knowing that to step into the ring. But we do that spiritually all the time, don't we? We know things that are destructive. We know what Christ calls us to. We know things that can wound us and take us off course. We know who we're called to be. And for whatever reason, we still step into the ring of sin, expecting it not to knock us out. Knowing and living is two different things. And my prayer is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we would be able to marry the knowing and the being this morning and live from that place. It can only happen through the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Romans ten seventeen says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Romans 12, 2 says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by, the test, that by testing, you may discern what the will of God is good and acceptable, perfect will. So, hear me say this one last time know your Bible and live its truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're anything like me, the second part is going to be very difficult at times. This is not a, a thing that happens over uh, because of our own exertion, or our own strength. This marriage between knowing and being happens because we fall on our face before King Jesus and we ask him to do in our hearts through the power of your spirit what we cannot do for ourselves. And his spirit will strengthen, his spirit will guide, his spirit will live through, in and through us. So, wrapping up. Verse six says it like this in seven. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and build up in him. Establish the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Hear that. The way that you've received Christ, if you've received him this morning, walk in him. Drop your anchors. Be rooted and built up in him. Establish the faith. That's what I love. Paul's saying this cycle, this thing of encouragement, unity, and maturity in Christ, encouragement, unity, maturity in Christ, pass it on. Invest that back into other people. What do you say right there? In the, it, it, establish the faith. Establish this thing. Work this thing. Gift this to other people. Find a way to repeat the process, to pour your life into someone else so that they might be encouraged, knit together in love, and know and cherish Jesus above all. That's the goal here, that's the aim. My prayer for you this morning as a church is that you would be encouraged, that you would be unified, and you would grow more and more mature as you not only know Christ and things about him, but as you allow those things to saturate your heart and then you live from that place. Let's respond in prayer. Father, we love you this morning. God, we love you so much. And Lord, my my prayer this morning is that you you would take our hearts, Jesus, and you would encourage our hearts right where we sit, God, right where we stand this morning, that we would be a people who have been encouraged by the truth of the Scripture, that you are supreme over all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, Lord, that, that we have been qualified and that you have given us an inheritance. And God, from that place of creating and being a part and allowing your Holy Spirit in us to create a culture of encouragement, Lord, help us to be unified. Lord, I pray that for our community, for our nation, for the world, God, Lord, that you would allow us to be unified in our homes, unified in our churches, unified in our friendships. God, as we look past our preferences and we we cast away our prejudice, We pray that you would knit our hearts together as a church, ultimately, God, that we might be spiritually mature, that we might receive this knowledge and and training and discipleship under the teaching of the Word as we dig in your Word for ourselves. But God, I pray that you allow that knowledge, all all of the knowing of who you are to be transformed from our heads to our hearts in such a way that, God, it motivates our pattern of living. That it transforms the trajectory of our lives. And we'll trust you to do it, Lord, through your your power and your spirit and your strength. In Jesus' name.